Hey there, folks. Trustworthy Fat Kev Smith. Before we start casting the pods, man, let me try to sell you something first, okay? Do you like me? Do you like my friends Jason Muse, uh, Ralph Garman? Then guess what? We're coming to a town near you, man. Pasadena, Ontario, and Berea, California. Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, and Orlando, Florida. Chicago, St. Louis, Atlantic City, San Diego for the Comic-Con, and Louisville, Kentucky. We're coming your way, man. Come see us, Mod Co. Show. Tickets at csmod.com. That's S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Now, if you can't come to one of our shows, you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to support this two-bit operation? Well, how about you kick back in your home with some family and friends and loved ones and play Monopoly? Jay and Silent Bob strike back Monopoly. That's right, man. You can buy from jayandsilentbob.com, the home of the secret stash, right there online. A signed edition of uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Me and Muse sign it, man. Jason Muse, Jay himself, me, Silent Bob. Uh, and the parts are real fun, man. They got a little cock knocker, a little fist, a little, uh, a little Suzanne, a little blunt mobile. It's crazy, man. Get your hands on it. You get drunk, get stoned, and play a round of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Available signed by me and Jason Muse at jayandsilentbob.com. Now... Here comes your Smodco podcast. Geek News Reviews, commentary, not just another podcast. Out of the ordinary, the big ball broadcast. I got a little rabbit in this hole, and I'm going to catch the little rabbit and eat him up. Now here comes your host, Cal A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 20. This is all the geeky news you can use. Very special edition of the Big Ball Broadcast. My name is Kyle Aber. I'm an anime and video game voice actor. Uh, very happy to be here on Smodco and Smodcast.com. Other World Steve, uh, my usual co-host, uh, had to duck out for important business matters and such, so he is Wait, not I, here this I'm evening. I'm here. I'm here. I'm Other World Steve. Wait, oh. that's, my, that's my Other World Steve impression. Oh, that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You got the gravel <laughs> down and everything. Yeah, it's Other World Steve. I just want to talk to you guys about some things. I got. I got to work on. It. If I spent enough time with him, I would. I'd be doing a flawless impression of him. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, he wanted us to spend the whole hour just doing a big dedicated like tribute to him and how awesome he is. So you know, we should. I haven't spent enough time with him to understand his true awesomeness, but I think he's pretty awesome. He, he is. He, he's been wonderful. He did like my first website back in like 2000, 2001. He came to like those official DBZ chats. Right. Remember when we, when we used to do that? Sean is, is the voice actor for Goku, by the way. From oh, yeah. Dragon Ball Z. My, by the way, my dog's barking in the background. I'm sorry. She, my dog's need less Goku, more Vegeta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Needs more Saiyans. Yeah, so so me and Sean go way back to uh, you. You started on Dragon Ball Z like the late nineties, yeah, ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. I, I came on board as the voice of your son Gohan uh, once he starts high school in two thousand, and uh, this this lovely little Dragon Ball universe has been spiraling out of control for the past. It's, it's the gift that get, keeps on giving. It is, it is, and um, if you're in the L.A. area and happen to have scored tickets to the sold-out screening of the new uh, Resurrection F film, um, then you'll be lucky to see uh, some of the main cast actually there on the red carpet, even though the dub doesn't exist yet, it will, it's been announced by Funimation, oh, yeah. and um, that'll be dropping later this summer, but uh, for a few, hopefully hundred, uh, lucky fans cramming into the Egyptian Theater in Los Angeles uh, this weekend. I, I'm, I'm pretty thrilled. I, I have met Masako Nozawa, the original voice of Goku. I've met her before, and she's unbelievably gracious and kind and awesome, but she's going to be there this weekend, as well as the director, um, as well as some very large wigs from Shuisha and Toei. I don't know if I'm saying that right. 
and uh, it, it, there, it's going to be some. There's going to be some amazing people there from the people who actually create Dragon Ball Z. Uh, in, you know, outside of our, our American version of it. So um, I'm personally thrilled and honored to to be a part of that uh, this this weekend. And as much as the chat room wants us to talk about Resurrection of F, here's the only problem with that: one, I can't talk about it, and two, I haven't seen it yet. So I, there, I don't really know what to talk. I mean, I have no I have no information to to share other than we're going to do it and it's going to be awesome. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it will be. Uh, I've heard Akira Toriyama actually wrote the screenplay this time. He was, he right. was even more directly involved than he was in Battle of Gods, and right. uh, apparently, there's even more action. In this, and that's not a, considered a spoiler. I think it's a good thing. Considering yeah, it's, it's a DBZ a title. Akira Toriyama. Well, you could, it's just so funny because he, I mean, his hands were all over the last one, and now he's more even more integrally involved. That guy just doesn't, you know, everything he touches turns to gold. So he, it, 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 and and our producer Justin Cook has seen it at this point. I think he's finally seen it, and uh, he said it's a, you know, and he's he's a pretty he's a bit of a cinephile. And he's a pretty harsh critic of of cinema in general in terms of his the, the severity of his opinion. And he was like really, really telling me how cool this movie is and how pleased he was with it. And this isn't a private conversation where he could have easily said this movie sucks or you know this movie's not going to be very good. But he you know was like this is going to be a really interesting and, and unique film, and, and he thinks it's it's going to be a very very good film. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, um, considering the success of Battle of Gods last year. Uh, you know, and that's, that's like a full year after it came out in Japan. We've seen the window shortened to just probably maybe six months or so with, uh, the release of the Japanese version just like a week or two ago, I guess, or, or this. No, no, that hasn't been out yet. The oh, Japanese... it's not even. No, it's what's happening. The world premiere is next week in LA. That's before the Japanese premiere. The Japanese premiere is after the world premiere in LA. And that's the Japanese non-subtitled, you know, Japanese language one. So, so it's going to be next weekend. World premiere in L.A. subtitled. The following night, with, before the end of April, I, I can't remember if it's the 28th or what, they're going to show it, they're going to premiere it in Japan. And then sometime this summer, hopefully, hopefully before the end of the year, we will have a dub version here and a premiere, a dub premiere in, in the United States and probably every English-speaking country they can get it in. So how so, many people do you think will be uh, whipping out their smartphones and trying to be all undercover and, and, and pirating uh, the agenda? Yeah, well, I'm probably going to sit at the front row and then turn around. Or no, I'll sit at the back row, and then if I see people with the phones, I will just take their phones and snap them in two and start a huge fight right now, just totally go ape shit. No, I won't do that. But I certainly <laughs> would like to, and I think and if they do do it, I'm sure there's going to be people watching because – I can imagine Funimation and Toei are going to be like, you know, hey, I, I don't know, I don't know this as a fact, but if I were them, I would be like, you guys need to have security watching for that shit, you know. And, Not uh, cool. So guys, gals, whoever gets to see this movie, just watch it, pay for it, pay for it legit, because the official version will come out and it's going to make buttloads of cash and keep Dragon Ball Universe alive, which is a wonderful thing. But uh, you don't want to be that guy. Well, yeah, and it's just. <sighs> It's just, I mean, come on. I mean, I know, I know it's hard to get cash. I mean, me getting five bucks in high school was hard to get. So what we did was, is we would have like, this is when videotapes were first rented. We would just have, if we couldn't afford everybody to, you know, we would have a Monty Python party and, and rent Monty Python videos, have 20 people over and have a party. So you save a few bucks. There's nothing illegal about that. You can have a viewing at your house with your friends over and rent a movie. If you want to save a few bucks, do that. At least rent it. And, you know, give give them a little cash there. But stealing it, and owning it, and then you know sh- sharing it on the internet, thousands and thousands of downloads. 
I mean, even Japan is, is, is hurting from all this piracy. I mean, American dub companies are hurting, but the place where it's created is hurting even harder. We're just not going to have stuff. You know, we're, we're just not going to, I'm not going to have a job and the kids aren't going to have any anime to watch. So you kids who are stealing it, you're hurting it. I don't give a shit what you say. You're hurting it and it's wrong. And it hurts people who, I mean, anime artists, they get paid like nothing and work like crazy, crazy hours from what I understand. I, I understand it's a very arduous and difficult job. Right. We actually, a couple of weeks ago, we covered, a, we saw an article on Kotaku.com about an American artist who actually went to Japan because his dream was to work in an anime studio. And he, he right. bugged them uh, up and down. And after tons of rejections, a small indie studio took him on board and then he worked his way up to a bigger one. But he was ma- barely making anything creatively he was very happy but he did feel it was a bit of a, a bit of a sweatshop you know just grueling hours six days a week 12 hour days and 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 craziness but um you know and i'm sure those conditions don't exist here because of course even domestic animated stuff is done overseas to save money I, you know and i don't i don't understand the nuts and bolts of it from a business perspective and why it's legally allowed i don't know if some business guys like well the market wouldn't support it if it was that price i mean i don't know all the numbers i'm not an economist i'm a you know artist so i don't I don't think in those terms, but it seems to me that it's possible you know, with enough people on Earth, and if there's not any pirating, that you know you could pay everybody decent re- w- wage and still make a profit. Seems to me you could anyway if the show was popular enough. But yeah, yeah, and you know, with with the with the changes in the industry, a lot of those artists are are, are going over to the gaming industry, which is a boon for us in the voiceover world because games pay more. Yeah, and, and they're more popular, even though they cost more. I mean. At least in North America, if you're if you're popping down sixty dollars on average for for a game, you know that's more than the cost of an, an anime DVD for sure, unless it's like a season box set, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And and it, I think one of the reasons consoles are still surviving. And I was talking to a guy who makes um, audio compressors, professional audio, and I was talking to him like, why don't you make a plug-in version of this? And he's like, the the piracy rate for plugins for audio software is seventy five percent. He goes by keeping he he actually the the compressor he makes is actually software processed inside a box that you control with knobs and he's like by selling the box with it i keep nobody can steal it so he goes i may he goes i don't make a plug-in for that exact reason you know and that makes sense it's like so that's the reason it seems to me like nintendo and sony and and microsoft it's really hard to pirate a ps4 game and it's a lot easier to pirate a, a pc game so ha- people are like well consoles are dead well there's a reason they keep pushing them outside of the fact that it keeps the infra- the uh, the topology of the, the system consistent, so it's easier to code for, and there's less bugs, and you know have, everybody has the same hardware. Outside of that, it's also difficult to pirate. So I, I support that. And I've been speaking of consoles. I've been playing. I just fired up Dark Souls two for PS4. It just came out yesterday for PS4. I've been playing Dark Souls one on PS3, and I got part of the way through it. I love those games, even though you die a lot, because it, it's so there's something so surreal about them and so so mystical and magical about them, to where they don't tell you everything and you got to kind of figure it out. And the, the fighting mechanics actually work. You know, you have a, a shield and a sword or whatever, and then when you're fighting with someone, you got to you know kind of dodge and parry in a in a way that uh, is actually s- somewhat realistic. And so it's it's I really enjoy. It. I don't know if you do you play the Dark Souls games, Cal? I have not. The latest thing I purchased and. Um, it's a first world problem, but I've been too busy. Uh, is uh, Dragon Ball Xenoverse? Which... I have not bought that yet because I'm waiting for Chris Sabat to give me my free copy, and uh, you know, and I always say that jokingly, and he didn't promise me one. 
I just keep saying that hopefully that I'll just get one someday will show up on my doorstep, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, probably not. And I, I don't have that patience. So I went ahead and just, uh, plunked down the 60 bucks like anyone else would. And I got the PS4 version. So, um, it's funny. I'm talking about not piracy and I want my free copy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I want my free copy because I'm in it. And sometimes just to be clear, I want my free copy because I'm in it and it's a joke. Also, sometimes we have been given free copies by the publisher. And, and so I was just kind of waiting on that, but I, you know, I, I would, I would definitely be happy to pay my uh pay the the money to to pay for xenoverse i was just thinking maybe chris bandai would send a uh is it namco bandai did yeah namco bandai would send a uh some free copies for the cast but uh you know we haven't asked for it so it's not a not a big deal i'm really only only jesting as i backpedal here kotaku did an article about the totally inappropriate and hilarious characters people are coming up with in xenoverse and they're hysterical and i love them and i I think it's so cool to uh to see that happening yeah Um, the custom characters uh is is something that i think the fans have been waiting for for years and there have been dbz games every year for the past decade plus easily and you know, we're we're not going to shy away from the fact that a lot of them were crap, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, um, but the new one has gotten some some pretty decent reviews, and we've gotten, uh, you know, multiplayer. Finally, we've gotten all that. Uh, my personal fave was still, you know, the original Budokai series. I really love those, and I love the yeah. port to to the PSP, which was a lot of fun and and played really well. And I appreciate all that stuff. Um, the but when I I plunked in Xenoverse, gave it a try. Uh, you have to walk around a town and, and kind of earn the right to start fighting and everything. And I couldn't get online, which apparently was just a bug with a, with a, a glitch with the PS4 system during right. the first couple of weeks of launch. I haven't popped it in since then to see if I'm able to, to do that. But, uh, when I'm, when I'm at conventions, cause I go to a lot just as, as you do, we're meeting fans and they, and they plunk that copy of that game Xenoverse in front of you. And I'm always interested to hear their feedback on it because I know it, it, it's, it's a toss up. It could be like, this is really, really good. Or it's like, this is total shit, you know. Yeah, in general, um, you know, I got word uh, from higher up that uh, it's selling like crazy and it's doing really well. So uh, I'm really happy about that. I and mean, I probably will pick it up really soon. Um, I'm just running out of hard drive space on my PS4 and I'm waiting for them to uh, to release. Uh, I don't know if there's official drives that are compatible with PS4 so I can add a terabyte drive onto my – I'm not going to get an X-Bone yet. I might have to get an X-Bone because there's a couple of AAA titles I'm going to be in next year that are, are Microsoft exclusives. Um, and so I'm like, well, shit, I am going to have to buy an X-Bone. And, uh, you know, I, my hatred for Microsoft has lessened greatly over the years. Um, and I almost bought a Surface Pro 3 because that thing is really amazing. And I'm glad they're finally pulling their heads out of their asses and, and doing some things right. And I did have an Xbox 360 and I really liked it. But I, I, got, I got really turned off the X-Bone when they were going to, like, do the whole not being able to trade games, you know, thing and the, right. that sort of thing. And that bothered me because I'm like, okay, first of all, it's lame. And secondly, they, even though they backpedaled, here's what my thought is. Oh, well, they're just like, oh, the audience isn't ready for it yet. So we'll just do it later. So I don't trust them right now. I don't trust them to go. And then they didn't bring the Illuma Room thing, uh, which I thought was going to be really cool. They announced that with the Xbox One where they have a projector behind you. And then, like, say you're playing a 3D game like uh, Call of Duty or something like that, and you go into a snow thing. It projects on your entire room like snow and leaves blowing by, like wherever you're in the room. It, it projects shit and, and changes the environment to, to make your whole living room, 
you know, kind of part of the environment, which they can then. I thought it was just spectacular. I love that idea. Called the Luma Room, which reminds me of a Luma Tune. But anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> they now so, defunct. Uh, most of our listeners probably have no idea what that is. We're talking about, yeah. Yeah, very, but, very uh, defunct, uh, short-lived no, anime distribution company no, in, in yeah. Texas. <laughs> but did you, uh, now, did you buy a new 3DS yet? I did not get the new 3DS. Um, I was trying to confirm with like fans. It's like, all right, so so it's a better 3D screen, and they said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's much better 3D. It's got the one little extra button on it, and I said, other than that, it's the same dimensions, it's the same screen size. Like, yeah, pretty much. Like, okay, I don't know. I'm not really totally convinced. I mean, I can trade in what I have because my 3DS currently is, you know, works just fine and everything. And uh, well, just, here, here's the deal. Here, I'm here, I have one now, and yeah. and and here's here's my review of it. it, it you you know, I, those negligible things are negligible. However, they're significant for me because the the 3D tracking that tracks your eyes is really great, and it's particularly good when you, you have a game like Tekken, which I would never play with a 3D on because your hands are moving so fast, you're wiggling the screen so much, but it stays stable when you play a game like Tekken. The screen is less washed out. It's the same pixel density, but it's less washed out. So games that were like particularly gorgeous on the 3DS before are really gorgeous. And it, the, the the analog nub, which I thought was might suck, works surprisingly well uh, for Monster Hunter and the new Monster Hunter. I haven't finished the old Monster Hunter, so I haven't downloaded the new one yet. Um, but first-person shooters could really come out in, in droves now with that analog nub. Um, and the build quality is a little better. The buttons are better. Um, games do load faster because of the extra processor. You know, you could probably st- hold off for a little while, Kyle. It depends on you know what your needs are. If you're not a big 3D gamer, screw it. Um, but if you and if you want that analog nub, it's really useful. I had a Circle Pad Pro, which I really love. But after a while, it started getting loose. Um, not the not the circle part, but the the 3DS held in the in the thing started getting loose. So there's that. But yeah, that's my brief review of the new 3DS. I think it's really great. And I'm going back and playing games that I I didn't play before because I couldn't play them in 3D or I didn't like them. And I'm, this guy Alan says, really, I'd say if you have a functional 3DS right now, you don't need to get the new 3DS. Well, Alan S, I would agree that you don't need it, but I would say. Because uh, I have a functional 3DS and I play my 3DS more now that I have a new 3DS because it, the, the upgrades were worth it to me. But it depends on what kind of gamer you are, you know? Yeah, and and for me, it's like the most valuable thing I have is like collecting street passes. You know, all the means oh, is you're just casually cons. I didn't lose mine in the transfer. Okay, good, good. You know, not. for years I was under that impression that it couldn't transfer, that it wasn't like a cloud save sort of thing or whatever. I guess those are saved to... Um, I don't know where they're saved, but I will say this. I did a wireless transfer with 32 gigabytes worth of data almost, yeah. and that was dumb. It took like eight hours. If I had done a copy and paste, like insert the SD card into my laptop, drag and drop it like I did before on the previous one I had, um, that would have been a lot faster. So I don't know if it saved my my me guys because I did a wireless transfer. It didn't specify but yeah, the wireless transfer took forever. So let me ask um, you: do you do you do the eShop, you know, digital download thing, or do you just have a, a gazillion cartridges everywhere? I used to have a gazillion. I had like twelve or twenty cartridges, and then I I largely do the e-download thing. That's why I have a thirty-two gig card. I just do that. Same you know? here. Yeah, I love not having to pull anything out, not having to go like, "Where's this one?" It's like when I first got a 3DS, I bought Street Fighter Four. That was the title that someone showed me. It's like, yeah, I'm a little biased because I'm in it, but someone showed me. It's like, wow, that that plays really well. It ported awesomely. It looks great. It made me say, "All right, I want a 3DS." I got one and then upgraded to the XL. Uh, I lost it at a con, and then I en- ended up buying another one, and then yeah. I had to practically argue with the Nintendo customer support system, saying it's like, so I can't get my old. Um, 
uh, Street Pass is back. It's like, no, there's, there, it's not like a cloud save. It's not like Apple or anything. Well, so. I think mine are all in. I can double check, but you know, I just you didn't, got you, it. Yeah, you had your old unit, so you were able to transfer it. Oh, and, I see. I yeah, see. so I would, you know, what I would want to do, I guess, is if I got the new one, I get the new one, transfer everything over, and then sell the old one or trade it in or whatever. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so that's what's going on on the gaming front. We just, well, oh, here's the thing that you gamers out there might want to know about. And this is something I've been kind of really excited about lately, which a lot of you gamers probably know this, but I just discovered it and I just got a new TV for this exact reason. So <clears throat> I'm a big pinball fanatic and I got the, the pinball arcade on my PS4. And I noticed that when I hit the buttons to do the flippers, it was like a significant delay. It was like tap, tap. It was like tap the, Tap the flipper, and then a tenth of a second, it's like, dun, dun, dun. Like, the second dink I'm saying is the actual flipper moving yeah. in the first one. Okay, so it's that long. So I start looking up and see if, you know, there was any known software issues. And, yeah, there was, but our, uh, but the people at Pinball Arcade, uh, Farsight or whatever it's called, they, they had fixed all those. Not any problems going on. So then I started reading about input lag on televisions. And, and CRT TVs, the kind you and I grew up on, Kyle, do not have input lag. And I had an HD 1080p. 1080i, actually. I had a 1080i CRT TV in the mid-2000s that I left behind when I moved in with my girlfriend in, in 2011, uh, which still, to this day, I think looks better than most TVs because it's a CRT. Well, anyway, I bought a box, a, a little special red box from a company in England that lets you test the delay of your input lag. And it has a significant effect on your games. Like, some games are almost unplayable. So those of you who are listening right now, I bought this red box, and now some of the, by the way, some of the input lag numbers are posted on a database online, and you can find out what they are. Um, and for those of you who can't do this, put your TV, when you put your video game, when you put your TV in gaming mode, it does more than just change the color. It takes off a lot of filters and processing that allow for input lag. So to put things in perspective for you, the slowest lag you could possibly have on any TV due to the nature of the technology is 17 milliseconds, and that's nothing. Just keep in mind, people, there's a 1,000 milliseconds in a second. However, once you start getting above 60 milliseconds, you will feel and notice a difference. And so Bree, my girlfriend, is addicted to Trials Fusion, and she's very good physically with games. Like, she's really good at uh, Mario Kart and racing games, and she's got good eye-hand coordination. And she was doing really good on that, and um, I'll, I'll relate to the story later here. But anyway, so I buy this box from England. It costs like 80 bucks. And I plug it into my TV, and then you push a button on it, and it sends a blinking signal at the front of your TV, and then it has a scanner on the front, and it tells you how long your millisecond lag is. Well, my Dynex piece-of-shit TV, the millisecond lag was 120 milliseconds. So that's significant. So I put on, turn on my guitar, and I put my delay pedal on my guitar on all the way, and I, I, I turned it up all the way so you can't hear the, the initial attack. And I, I played guitar, and I went, it was like... Ding, ding, like ding, ding. It's really long. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa. So I got to get a TV, damn it. So I go shopping around for a TV. Um, I ended up getting a, I was going to get the, the Sony TV that it actually is at 17 milliseconds, but Sony also makes a 3D, which I'm not really into 3D on TVs, but they make a 3D 4K display, which upsamples everything. And it was on crazy sale at Best Buy. And I measured it and it was 39 milliseconds, which was 20 milliseconds shorter than I really, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say, okay, if I can get above 60, below 60 milliseconds, I'll be happy. Anyway, we get the TV home, I scan it, it's registering at like, you know, 160 milliseconds. I'm like, what the fuck? So, 
Then I adjust it in gaming mode. I adjust everything. Then I rescan it 39 milliseconds. And, I, and, I, and then we put in Trials Fusion, and Bree proceeds to beat all her times on it like the first night. And, oh, here's another thing. Grand Theft Auto V, I was having such a hard time driving through traffic really fast, and I didn't know why. And I'm, you know, I'm generally pretty good with driving games. Now after I got the TV, I can zip through traffic without hitting anything and just zing, zip around like crazy. And I'm way better. Think about this. If you're, one guy puts it this way on a video. He goes, if you're driving 200 miles an hour in, in Gran Turismo, and you have a tenth of a second delay and you want to take a hairpin turn you're going to lose 200 feet on your turn from the time you start engaging the turn on your on your uh analog stick right Mm -hmm. so um when i was playing destiny i would go in and play and people are always getting a drop on me every time well if i got a 39 millisecond tv and they got or 520 second millisecond tv and they have a 39 millisecond tv they're gonna have like many many i can't even do the math on that but i don't know 80 milliseconds or whatever they're going to have that drop on you, not including internet lag, before they get the shot off on you. Mm-hmm. So think about what that does to gaming, man. Like when you're playing competitively online, you got to have a slow input lag if you plan to be competitive because some other SOB is going to have a TV that's really, really low lag. So with the 39 millisecond lag, I'm, ex- I'm addicted to games again because I'm like, whoa, now I'm connected to the game. And now, you know, everything's on behind. So those of you who are listening... Um, yeah, get a, and if you can, if, it, if the, the lag time's not published, there's a, I can, I can find the, the Bodnar. I think it's Leo Bodnar or something. I don't know. I can post it where you order this box, um, and you plug it into your, t- your HDMI port and it tells you your millisecond t- lag time. I could come over to your house and, and, and show your lag time, Kyle. Oh my God. That's crazy. See, I mean, I didn't know that, you know, game mode, when you're setting up the visuals on a new TV, could, could, be drastically affecting your game beyond just like yes. a color scheme. That's yes. literally all I thought it was. I did too, and that's why I never used game mode. Now, once I put in game mode, it shuts off a bunch of stuff that's supposed to make your TV look good. Oh, another thing I did though is I bought a disc, uh, a Blu- Blu-ray. That, I don't know if it's called Funk and Wagnalls. That's the encyclopedia, but it's basically Strunk and it's two names, and it's a DVD calibration. Because I'm colorblind, so I want to get my colors all exactly right. I'm red green colorblind, so. I'm going to get all the colors exactly right. And you put it in this DVD and it puts up different color bands and different sharpness bands and different contrast bands. And it teaches you how to adjust your TV to calibrate it. And I can, I can say it's definitely worth that to adjust your, your TV for calibration. And I did that too. So, um, it was, you know, now I'm in gaming heaven because I'm like, well, and I'm going back and playing old games that I didn't enjoy as much. And now I have better reaction time. You feel it's not just better reaction time. It's more fun because you feel more connected to the game. Um, and so that, that's significant. So that was a good time killer for this program, broadcast. <laughs> I like that. That's what we do. We try to, try to fill it with just, fill it with, just talk. It's like, get Sean. He can talk ad nauseum on just about anything. And I, I, yeah, I am low quite, I, sometimes I drive Brie crazy. She's just like, especially, you know, if I'm, if I'm discussing the profundity of why Guns N' Roses sucks really bad, but that's, you know, a subjective thing. Um, I, I mean, I like, I like Slash, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, you know, to me, it sounds like uh, Axl Rose wrote all his songs. His grandma wrote him, you know. Take me down to Paradise City with a glass of green and a girl down pretty. Sounds like an old lady wrote the songs. And I don't know why he decided <laughs> was good singing. Take it to the end of the line. <laughs> where yeah. do we go? I don't know. Where do we go? You know why he's saying where do we go now? Because they ran out of chord progressions. They couldn't figure out the cadence. And they were like, oh, wait, we ran out of musical material. Where do we go now? I don't know. Should we write a long, a long riff? A ramp or a vamp that goes on and on so we can have a longer song. Where do we go? I'm just like, I don't know. It's 
Sort of like Ethel Merman. Oh, yeah, he's totally <laughs> Ethel Merman. Sloppy Joe. No, that's, no, that's uh, Adam Sandler, yeah. Y'all be swell. Y'all be great. Y'all be serving the whole world on a plate. You know, <laughs> starting <laughs> here, starting now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> In the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Axl Rose. What, what are yeah. We, and, I, you know, his singing was easy to make fun of, of course, but I always, um, yeah, yeah, he's a big whiner. But the one that really bugged me was Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. I, that, yeah. that, that sound was really up my ass sideways. That was really hard to hear. The sad thing about Billy Corgan is he's such a, a terrific composer and songwriter. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, that's the, and I see, that's the thing. I, I, I would definitely tolerate me some Smashing Pumpkins. And I, and I happen to love, actually, my favorite Smashing Pumpkins song is either tonight or today. <laughs> today either one i can't remember but well they're two contrasting songs but i love i definitely love smashing pumpkins and billy corgan is is really a brilliant composer and i think slash is a great guitar player but in terms of the compositional nature of guns and roses i i just it makes me want to throw up in general so it's it's uh <laughs> it's not my favorite musically as much as i like slash because he's cool and plays guitar well um right right he was at a he was at a, the same cafe in studio city i went to once and i thought it was him of course he didn't wear the hat because people would instantly know but i looked at the tats up and down his arm yeah and then i did a google search an image search and i just typed in slashes tattoos and i was right and it was him (laughs) i didn't say hi to him but i just thought that was interesting it's like we can google anything and stalk people in a a very creepy sort of way big Big brother has arrived and uh it's called facebook no you know it's it's uh I hate it all. I mean, here's the deal fans. I love anybody who likes what I do. I mean, who wouldn't like what you do for a living? And I like all the interaction I get. And I actually keep my Facebook account up and my Twitter account up largely for professional reasons. Um uh because I I really don't like having them up. It's not that I don't like interacting with fans or and I don't even like using that word, but it's not that I don't like it. It's just there's a certain when I, you know, when you've been on tour and you're and you're going to different shows and you're and you're meeting a lot of people, you want to get home and have like a giant private space. And I just don't feel like I have that. Um, there may come a day where I shut everything down, but you know, and I, and you get the really wonderful, adoring fans who are just really cool and respectful. And then you get the ones that anytime you're talking about anything, here's a picture of my dog. You put a picture of your dog. When's Battle of Gods coming out? I'm like, I wasn't talking about Battle of Gods. I was talking about a picture of my dog. So, you know, shut the fuck up. And it, it, it drives me nuts because there's like no, no decorum whatsoever and there's a weird (laughs) well there's a weird line between objectifying you and not realizing you're a human being my my handler in vancouver was talking about how patient i am because every time you have a lull in your line there'll be one person that comes up to you and is like he's like oh i see you have a lull in your line i was wondering if i could ask you a few questions and you're like actually the lull in my line is for when i need a break so uh but I, i always i never say that and i always answer the questions and i and i try to be polite um uh, and I'm not hating on anybody when it's happening. I'm just like, you know, because in your mind, you're like, oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. And the, this guy's driving me crazy, but it's really sweet that, you know, they 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 like it so much and want to talk to you. Um, but it's driving me crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't ever say that. You know, you just, you know. And I, I love it when people ask me. They go, well, may I ask you a question? You know. And I'm like, yeah, you can ask me a question. It doesn't mean I'm going to answer it, but. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, why don't you just ask the question instead of asking if you can ask you can the ask question. You ask a question. You, you, next time you say you get one question, and if the question is you ask the question, you say, done. You used up your right. question. Sorry. 
And yeah, like I have, I have the same thing where it's like, regardless of how tired I am or I just, I just want to get away or, or whatever. I try to just be, I, cause I'm very grateful for, for what we get to do in the, in the well, voice sure. acting realm and get to travel. So I give everyone, you know, the attention because this may be the one time I ever interact with that person ever. And I want to make sure that they walk away with a good impression and they say, you know, that guy's cool. I like what he does. And, you know, he seems to enjoy his job. And I, I appreciate, I came, you know, uh, you know, thousand miles away and I spent my hard earned money to come say hi and get him to sign some stuff. And he was not a douchebag. Like, you know, other people at these Comic-Con type shows and anime conventions, you know, can be well, if they have a bad Yeah, day. and my whole rule of thumb for that is, is, and here's my whole rule of thumb for, for cons, and this is I'm probably the same, maybe you don't phrase it this way, it's probably the same, and I've been around other famous people who do not observe this, and, you know, in fact, over this past weekend there were some, but, um, and I'll get to that in a second, but, uh, uh, you know, outside of that, I basically look at it this way, look, it doesn't matter if, you know, they look up to you, it doesn't matter... If they think you're a super saiyan or it doesn't matter if they think that you're they have some kind of weird and and, a, and sweet hero worship of you. What does matter is that they are a human being also. And it doesn't matter that what you do happens to be crazy popular. You know what I mean? It, 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 they're just it's just person to person. So I just you know, it's like this is a human being and I'm going to treat them like a human being unless they're shitty to me. And then I'm going to get up and leave, you know, but. Other than that, uh, you just lead with respect and see what happens. And, you know, you're always going to have, a, you know, I think a good uh, karma, so to speak. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually leads into a question we got off Twitter at, at BB Broadcast from yeah. Thorbond3. He wanted to know your weirdest and or best fan interaction. Weirdest and or best. It's so hard to, you know, it's been 16 years of doing this. It's so hard. I mean, some of the better ones, I had a woman come up to me who, uh, you know, started sharing the story of how her and her husband bonded over Dragon Ball Z and watched it together. And then he had recently died. And, and it was a very young marriage and a very young couple. And, you know, she starts bawling and all you can do is hug him. You know, it, yeah. those are the ones I, I really appreciate. Um, and, and I especially like it when parents come up. Uh, you know, my, one of my parents was very supportive of my work as a hornist. Another parent was not. And I, I think it's really great when, you know, instead of parents poo-pooing anime and, and, and trying to block their kids from it because maybe it's a little too out there or whatever, you know, the ones, the dads that show up and the, and the moms that show up and take their kids to the cons and be involved in there instead of making fun of them. Uh, I really like seeing that because it's like, wow, man, you know, so my, I guess my favorite inter- interactions are, are are those types of things. I don't know if that answers that guy's question, but um, you know that's that's mine. What about you? Uh, it's hard to narrow it down to one. I, I've I've lost count of how many people say that they've been through some sort of traumatic life event, whether it's terminal disease or death, or they're they're stationed, you know, in a desert, you know, in the military for for months on end, doing a horrible you know, whatnot, and they're scared and, and, you know, they get to escape by playing right. a game or a show and something that you're connected on and, and make some sort of personal impact beyond just being entertaining. And, you know, that's something that you don't anticipate when you're in the vacuum of a, of a tiny recording booth. And it yeah. feels really good to, to get that once you're out there in the world and you get to travel because of what you do and they fly you out and put you up and they treat you like a rock star and you're interacting with people whose lives you've managed to touch in a really positive way. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, and it's happened to me in terms of like, I, I mean, it happens to me more musically than, than things, and I haven't been in that position, but it happened to me in this regard. Um, in 2002, my dad had a, a massive heart attack and should have been dead, and he's managed to survive, and he's still alive and doing quite well, actually, but he is getting up there, 
and he's passed his uh, – and he had a massive, serious heart attack. He had a 2% chance of survival. The only thing he could watch when he was in the hospital, the only TV show that wouldn't make his heart race was SpongeBob SquarePants. And so I had – I did a gig where I had a, a commercial where Tom Kinney was there and I had to voice match uh, Patrick uh, because he wasn't available. And they eventually got him and he ended up doing the, the commercial, which is, makes me happy. But I got to, I got to tell Tom – what, you know, it was kind of cool to have that moment as a fan of Tom's uh, to tell him that, you know, my dad, you know, his his work and, and, and that show was the only thing that would soothe, soothe my dad in the hospital uh, in 2002. And then I bumped into Tom again uh, at the grocery store at 1130 night. I was getting cookies or something. And uh, we chatted in the parking lot for 30 minutes talking shop. And so I'm like, wow, I'm talking to SpongeBob. This is so awesome. Of course, it's very important to note. He is Tom Kenny. And and when people call us by our names, as much as I appreciate it, there's a little bit of a uh, there's a little bit of objectification. So those of you who are listening, as much as I appreciate that you call me Goku, um, you know my name is Sean, and it's weird because then you start feeling like an object. You start feeling like like uh, like you kind of this monkey that needs to dance or something on command. And and when people say Hey Goku, I go Yeah. I appreciate that. My name is Sean. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like I just want to be called by my name. You know, and and, and it's sweet, and I get it. You know, and, and, I, and I I like it sometimes, but um, yeah, my, and, and I will show up and say, hey, it's me, Goku, as a joke. But you know, yeah, I mean, my girlfriend's been coming with me to uh, conventions since she's moved in with me uh, right. a few weeks, and she goes, oh, and the people will go, oh my god, you're Gohan's girlfriend's. Like, no, I'm Christina. Thank you. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I'm just playing a lick for you. Oh my 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 Les Paul. Um, Ooh, I can barely hear it, man. Oh yeah, I got it. I haven't cranked down. I'm I'm just I'm holding my guitar while I'm playing, just in case I see an opportunity to like do a do a dive bomb or a, or do some crazy shit like that. Um, do a nice big solo, just a, a riff like a, oh, what they call the eye oh, the eye catcher things in between the anime episodes. You know, the we're going to commercial dun 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 dun, and then it comes oh, back. Oh. Or some crazy shit like I don't know. <laughs> you know what it needs? It needs more Axl Rose. Yeah, I know. Oh, you know the end of the line. <laughs> um, and, and I, tell you, I always met this morning. I was singing in the shower, and I was like, I was picturing uh, a lady, a guy cuts in line at, at lunch in school, and the old lady is there, and she goes, "Take it to the end of the line," and she sends the kid with his lunch to the end of the line because he cut in line. And that's and then anytime someone cuts in line, that's what she says. Like Axl Rose, that's what I was visualizing. Take it to the end of the line, you right? And it's just like, oh, shut up, please. Yeah, it's kind of um, like when uh, our Schwarzenegger on the new Terminator commercial, he literally gets back to the chopper. You know, he's like oh, flying and lands on a helicopter. It's great. Get back to the chopper. He does. He totally does. It's great. <laughs> Wonderful. So we do this joke. Okay, so we do this joke with my friends. With Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. It's a great joke you can repeat over and over. You go, you ask someone in an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, do you find my voice annoying? <laughs> and then whether they say yes or no, if they say no, it's fine. If they say yes, they go, so you go, do you find my voice annoying? And they go, yes. How about now? And they go, yes. They go, how about now? And then you just say, how about now? And no matter what they answer, you just say, <laughs> how about now? <laughs> Every time, do you find my voice annoying? How about now? <laughs> and, th- and this is Sean Sober. Yeah, <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, when I'm drunk. I'm just. I have less boundaries. I'm roughly the same. But yeah, man. I um, uh, you know, it, 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 I don't know. We have a big. I, you know, we should probably talk about this a little bit. We do have a big Dragon Ball Z year this coming out this year, uh, with the uh, resurrection of F. 
And uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. And there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff happening this year for, for as far as that goes with Funimation and and uh, uh, and I just I don't know. It's really it's really exciting. I think here's what's cool about Funimation. And you know I'm going to bring up another band who you know people are going to go. How can you not like Axl Rose and like this band because this singer is also annoying. And that is Rush, of course. And I know Geddy Lee's voice takes some a while to get used to. Um, but like Billy Corgan, the, the music's so good it's worth putting up with. And um, and I got used to Geddy's voice after a while, but. I feel like Dragon Ball Z fans are like Rush fans in this way, in that Dragon Ball Z is not like mainstream, like, I don't know, ACDC or Kiss or Led Zeppelin, but they have like, they have just as many hidden fans and just as, and they have like this powerful uh, underlying influence and they have just as many, and, and more importantly, their fans are more culty and hardcore than, say, your average Beatles or Led Zeppelin fan. And so it's, I feel like Dragon Ball Z is real similar. It's like, it's not, the most popular anime per se, but it influences all other anime. And if you have another anime that's your favorite, you probably still like Dragon Ball. And, and if you do, you're probably a diehard Dragon Ball fan. You know what I mean? It's like this weird mixture of popularity and nicheness. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, I th- and I actually thought your your uh, comparison to Rush was going to be akin to it doesn't. They don't need to have a radio hit or a single. They can just tour or put out an album that 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 tanks, but they're going to sell out every tour because that hardcore mainstream yeah. fan base continues to. And and I got tickets. They're going to be in L.A. Uh, August first, so I know. you I should get tickets. tickets are they sold out yet? Uh, I think they might be close to. But uh, I got yeah, my buddy Roy wants to go, and I'm like, shit. We need. I need. I've seen them live before, and so I, I need to go though because it might be their last tour. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree with that uh, that analogy. It is. There's. There's always. I guarantee you. And I thought about this in like 2000 when we first started on the show in '99. I'm, I always joke that, like, when I was retired, I'd, I'd be living in an old man in some tiny house in the woods, and then some new Dragon Ball Z fan would seek me out and, like, get, you know, I'd open up, what do you want? And I'll sound like <laughs> Master Roshi at that point. I just want to, and it'll be some 12 year old kid who wants to find Goku or something, you know, it'll be some crazy shit. And I used to say that as a joke, but now I think it might actually happen. It's like, I, I can't imagine that, you know, it's not going to be like, you know, when I'm very old, that because I mean, I met Peter Fernandez, rest his soul, uh, right before he passed, and I, he was a huge influence on me for Speed Racer. Yeah, same and here. and it was really thrilling to meet him. And you know, he he was still around and kicking, and still in demand for these things we were at with him. And so it, it, it's it, it's I don't think it's it's just like the end of the uh, song "Nothing Ever Dies" and "We'll Rise Again" or whatever in the Dragon Ball Z song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dragon Ball's that way, whereas other anime are going to come and go. Uh, Dragon Ball is just going to, you know, it's just going to keep going, you know. I, I can't, I'm, I'm shocked. Every time I think it's over, like, we'll finish this movie, and it wouldn't surprise, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it's like, next year, do another movie. And then people keep talking about uh, there's going to be a new series. I think that's all rumor right now, but I could see it happening. Or, do you have any other facts on that on a new series, Kyle? Have you no that? facts. I, I have just heard that because Battle of Gods was so lucrative that they're probably just going to just crank out movies. They're, they're easier to do just from a logistics standpoint, and it just it, it feeds the hunger just enough for fans because, yeah. you know, there's big enough gap between when GT ended or the last movie was made or even the Shonen Jump special from years ago. Yeah. The fans come out of the woodwork when they say, there's a new DBZ? Oh, my God, we got to go. And the screening for the new movie in L.A. at the, the red carpet premiere, which, as you verified, is before the Japanese premiere, you know, that screening is sold out. I, I've heard it sold out yeah. the day tickets went on sale. It's like, and that's in just Japanese. The English that's dub, the subtitle, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't exist in English yet. 
And that is pretty powerful. Yeah, it is very powerful stuff. And, uh, you know, then, and there, and the fact that they're going to do a world premiere for a Japanese product, uh, a Japanese art in, uh, in America before they do it in Japan, you know, that's, that's pretty significant. Um, because normally, you know, Nintendo releases Japan first, they release Japan first. And so the fact that they're going to do, uh, this, this, this subtitled thing before they release it in Japan, uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, um, but I, I guarantee you that the I'm I'm pretty confident that the the dub will be not far behind. It's not going to be. It won't be a year. It's going to happen this year at some point. Yeah. Um, and then what I'm envisioning is happening because you've seen Funimation with what's called the broadcast dubs. There's a handful of shows that are being debuting in Japanese and in English at the same exact time, which is yeah. Which is a wonderful thing, and that's that's what I'm envisioning happening. Maybe not the next DBZ project, but maybe within the next five years or so. I hopefully. think that was on the table for this year, and logistics. Uh, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure, but it seemed to me like it was on the table for this year, and the logistics kind of got in the way. Is my guess? I don't know because mm-hmm. I think that's what I think that's what Japanese companies want to do, and I, I think it helps with privacy and a bunch of other things, um, and it helps you know just releasing everything at the same time. Um, and I'm hoping that Funimation and Japan will be able to uh, do that for any show that they release, you know. Right. That would be really cool. Yeah. Now, uh, folks listening to the show, um, if you're not familiar with how we do our show, we do have a live audio stream on uh, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and we have a chat room so people can listen to us as we record the new episode. And we've got Robert J., who is one of our chat regulars, who asked, uh, was the Shonen Jump special ever dubbed? And I thought it was a no-brainer that would have been dubbed, but it wasn't. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Was we've, that Goku and Friends do some shit together? It was, it was, the, it was the one about uh, Vegeta's brother. That came out. It was about five, six, seven years ago. So it wasn't the Goku and Friends special, Goku and Friends Return, or whatever it's called. That start the title of it's like Goku and Friends X Y Z. I can't remember. I'm sure someone here in the chat will be able to verify that. I forgot the name of it, but yeah, it's Goku and Friends. You know, get killed in some manner, and then I'm kidding him. And then right there, yes, yo, son, Goku and yeah, friends, friends Return. Return, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, you think is that the same thing you're talking about? That's a good question. I just know it as the Shonen Jump special. special yeah, I don't know if that's the same thing or not, but um, uh, yeah, I'm surprised. I apparently wasn't in the budget or something. I don't know. I, I that's what I heard. I heard something like it wasn't in the budget or it wasn't popular enough or I don't know. I could see, you know, I could see it happening at some point. Maybe it wasn't relevant enough. Who knows? I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't really know anything official on that. I just. I'm guessing it was a money. It, it, you know, when shit doesn't happen, it's usually a money thing. You know, right? Um, uh, they got the money, and they, if the popularity's there, and they've got the money, they're gonna they're gonna do it. They're gonna want to make money on it. You know. Well, yeah, and and we've got this thing where the orange brick, you know, season box sets that were controversially, you know, cropped and widescreen and all that. When the, it's a TV show aspect ratio, which is a square, not a rectangle, right. but you know, they still sold a lot. So that's how they justified putting it on Blu-ray that way. Whereas I was hoping they would just put the Dragon Boxes in Blu-ray, which are remastered, not in widescreen. But yeah. the people do it like Star Wars. They put out every iteration of it, and fans have copy of it. You know, every DBZ fan, they'll tell you they've got every episode on VHS, or or at one point had it on VHS. Then they converted to DVD, or maybe they still have it, and they have every game. And then they buy the Blu-rays, and then they buy digital downloads, and and it just continues. We should just like, I don't know. Well, we'd probably get in trouble. We should just dub it ourselves, and then like <laughs> put it up. Say, here you go. We'll all get fired. Uh, uh, I think at the premiere they could just turn the sound off and we'll just do a live <laughs> dub it as it happens on screen. I'm gonna talk to Masako Nozawa when I'm there and say, "Hey, let's do a let's do a Kamehameha when it happens on screen together." Um, 
Although she probably wouldn't do that with me. She is so graceful and uh, uh, she's magical. Like she's so uh, energetically like this mystical uh, godlike being. Like she she doesn't she she car- she carries herself with such poison and regality. Uh, she just I don't know. It's it's weird being around her. And when and I swear when she does a Goku voice sitting next to you, you feel energy bubble expand. It's because I was on a panel with her and she, you feel this. Goku energy bubble expand when she shifts into the voice. At least that's the way it felt for me. Yeah, you guys so. should look on, on, on YouTube for uh, 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 Dragon Ball Z Animazement, I believe it, it was yeah. uh, 2013. Yeah. Uh, we had a, well, a Dragon there, Ball right? Z panel. I was there. Kara right. Edwards, the voice of Videl and Goten was there. Uh, we had the voice of uh, Frieza and from Japan. Um, from Japan. And uh, we had a whole cast there. And that room was standing room only, and yeah. that, that was one of those big career highlights. It's oh, like, yeah. wow, that, that was amazing, because we just got a question from Hero004. You remember the first time you recorded a line in Dragon Ball Z and felt like it was a great emotional moment? Oh, well, yeah, I can. Well, for me, it was, and someone asked me this about, like, when, when we started dubbing the show, I was closely following Ian Corlett and Peter Kalamas's voice because we were required to mimic the Canadian cast. And so I was taking home VHS tapes that Barry would loan me, loan me, and they go, "Make sure I get that back." Um, and uh, <laughs> he'd loan me VHS tapes, and I'd watch them uh, to to make sure I nailed the voice down right. And uh, we had, we started in the middle of Ginyu saga, like Ginyu. Like, it's not a saga, but in the Ginyu episode, we didn't really start at the number episode one. We started episode like fifty three. And uh, uh, Chris Sabat told me he did not know if I could scream like we, I was going to need to scream because I'd done a lot of fight reacts and I, I hadn't done anything crazy yet. And this is for the Super Saiyan transformation the first time. And there comes a point, especially when you're mimicking, when you're creating a character, but more so when you have to take over for another character, that you decide you're going to own that character. So uh, I had to do the Super Saiyan transformation. I, I looked at the animation. I remember watching that moment and recording it and losing my shit in the booth. And then after that moment thinking... I'm done listening to them. This character's mine now. I'm done. And then from that moment on, I owned the character for our version of the show, and I haven't looked back. And so that was the first emotional moment uh, for me. Uh, what about you? Um. Well, the first emotional thing was, of course, just getting the call from Chris Sabat that I was going <laughs> to get to record in the first place. You know, two weeks after I auditioned, I auditioned for Teen Gohan. And then other bit parts that I had no idea how big or small the roles were because when you go to audition for voice work, it doesn't tell you. This is the villain of the series or this is the hero. I didn't know I was playing the lead either. Go ahead though. Yeah, yeah, but but you know what I mean. It's like here's a here's a, here, a, a three ring binder. Open up and here's all these audition sides. And it's like uh, pick whoever you want to read for. And so I did. And I mean, fortunately, I knew the show because I was already a fan. Oh. So I I picked out Gohan specifically because I knew who that was. I knew that he would have a big role in the show and i felt that i could i could come up with something and luckily they thought too and they ended up hiring me but not initially of course because my right. very first time dubbing and you know they hire you know they, they got to throw you on bit parts at first to see if you can take direction well and see if you can handle lip sync and all that sure. and was that the case with you since that was your first big thing was was goku yeah um what, what was the case well well i mean did they did they the very first time you went in for funimation were you recording as Goku, or did uh-huh. you do some bit parts first just to, to try th- things no. out? No, my first day, my first day, I can tell you exactly what I recorded the first day. My first day was when Goku shows up with a Ginyu vo- force, and he's trying to do an impersonation of how they hold their poses, and he's clueless about the, the different you know cheerleader poses the Ginyu force does. That was my first day at work. 
Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't do any bit part. It was like, you're Goku, do this, go. <laughs> like, All right. Well, that's cool. That's got to feel good. Well, I see, I was, I, you know, my background was in classical music at that point. And so, you know, to me, you know, it, it, it didn't feel good until about a week after recording when Chris Sabat said, oh, you do realize you're the, the lead character on this show. And I did not know that at that point. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> right. You know, because I didn't come from an acting background. I, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because I wasn't thinking in terms of like, like I want lead parts or I want this. I mean, I called him and argued to play Captain Ginyu over Goku after I got the part because I thought Captain Ginyu was uh, a part that I had done better in my audition. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think from the perspective of like, you know, and I'm not saying you did, but I'm saying actors in general, mm-hmm. you know, thinking I want the lead role and I want to get the, I'm just thinking I want the cool voices. I want to do the voices that I think are fun to do. I want to do the voices that I resonate with. And Goku, when I did that voice, I didn't think I did anything special with it. I didn't think I did anything. Uh, it wasn't a terribly interesting voice to do, uh, compared to say a monster type voice or a Ginyu voice or a, you know, some of the accented voices, which are, or Vegeta even, you know, are, are more interesting voices. Um, and, and in some cases, more interesting characters. I mean, Goku is not a very deep character, as I've mentioned very t- many times. And that's because I think he's, he's kind of got this natural state of enlightenment where his head's, you know, empty all the time, you know. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's three basic emotions, happy, angry, and hungry. And that's pretty much it, you know. <laughs> There's not a lot of range with Goku. Uh, I have more fun playing, uh, King Kai, you know. Yeah, and I I have more fun doing Ox King just because he's like derpy Macho Man Randy Savage. Exactly. Like, oh boy, step into a slim gym. Uh, <laughs> I just can't get enough of doing that voice. I could just talk like that all day, and I feel like going to Q and A panels and just talking just from beginning to end, and just <laughs> not should, break you character. Uh, you know what's funny is people always want me to do Goku in character with Chris, and the problem is Vegeta has a bunch of choice lines and says a bunch of cool shit, but. The problem is my the faces I make when I do Goku are so incredibly stupid and the kind of shit Goku says is so incredibly clueless that when I when people ask me to do things in character I'm actually and I'm never I never have stage fright and I'm never performance shy I'm actually uncomfortable because of how ridiculous I feel like I look and also because of the ridiculous clueless shit Goku says like in Battle of Gods, not so much, and they had the camera on me, which made me really uncomfortable, but it ended up looking not ha- not too bad. But it's like, and you're like, hey, and you're talking like this all the time, and everything's happy, and you're talking loud, and it's like, a, you're like the most annoying Boy Scout on Earth, and uh, uh, even though you're the hero, you know, in the show, and and that's why King Kai's more fun to do. And I watch Chris at panels, and he has that on his line, and he's like, he gets to say all kinds of fun, obnoxious, nasty things because Vegeta's a fun character to do that with. I can't. I mean, I guess it'd be funny if Goku said like. You know, shut up, or you know, you're asshole, or whatever. <laughs> if he, you know, says things that are that Vegeta would say, but I, you know, when you have a you know five year old kid coming up to you, you know, it's a uh, uh, you can't really call him an asshole. Um, that's another reason why I don't. I always picture when people ask me to do like Kamehameha. Like the reason I don't do them at my, my table when I'm signing is because one, it hurts my voice and I have to work when I get back. And two, I picture a third camera like 10 feet away just looking down at the row of people signing. And there's one guy sitting there screaming at every kid, Kamehameha. And I'm like, <laughs> you're basically just screaming at kids all day and what people would say, you know? And so I'm like, I, I, I it's, and I, and I don't do it unless it's properly loud enough. So it's like, I just can't. I mean, I do it on a panel, but it'd be like six hours of screaming at, at kids every day, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, 
It's a weird catchphrase too, Kamehameha. Yeah, and I, I get asked to do that too in, at autograph signings, and I, I, I feel I go, I'll go, I'll do it because it, it, it's not that often that they ask me to do it. Yeah. They tend to ask for it during the panels, which is fine. Panel it feels time. stranger in an autograph line because everyone's head turns. You know, you're being so loud that an entire hallway is going, "What the hell happened? Why is that guy screaming?" Well, yeah, and speaking of autograph lines, this is what I was telling you before the show started. So I'm at an autograph line in Vancouver, and to my left is Veronica Taylor, the voice of Ash, and to her left is Carrie Fisher, who is delightful, but also insisted on smearing any fan who got close enough to her with globs of glitter. And so I had fans come up to me in my line, I'm like, I had glitter all over them, and I thought it was part of their cosplay, it's because Carrie Fisher got a hold of them and decided to smear people with glitter, which I... I'm trying to decide if I want to start doing that at autograph lines and start smearing people with glitter. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a very interesting approach because they're going to be showering for months and years and they're going to f- still find glitter coming out their ass. Probably because there was a lot and it was kind of, it looked like it was a glittery. I mean, it wasn't wet, but it wasn't glitter. It wasn't glitter like you would get. It was like makeup glitter, but it was definitely very visible. And I think it was mixed with some kind of stuff that makes it sticky because these kids didn't look like it was easy to – it was smeared on versus like glitter you would get for, you know, some class project where you sprinkle it on your, you know, construction paper with glue like we did when we were kids. It's not like that kind of glitter. It was it was smeary, makeup-y glitter. So I wonder if like was she just like just throwing it at people like like get away from me how dare you you know I didn't really see it happen I mean because I, I was focused on my line but I just kids are coming to me I'm like what's going on like, oh, Carrie Fisher smeared glitter on me I think that's her way of uh, thanking the fans or keeping them away from her I don't know um, but yeah that was that was interesting <laughs> that's an interesting way to to, to troll people uh, speaking of trolling Birdman Dot on Twitter asked have you ever trolled people over the phone with your various voices AKA oh yeah I know ordering pizzas or, or through the drive through or whatever yeah I saw I know I know Mike Birdman he's awesome um, yeah. uh, and Steve Film Negative Sailor who's uh they were they were on this week in Geek which I refer to as this week re reek. Um, <laughs> I was just well, I did some bo for him, and so I said I did a I did a thirty spot for him like this week we reek, and I said I, I was messing with him, but yeah, uh, I have not done that. But what I have done before I was a voice actor, and what Mike is referring to, I call using your voice acting powers for evil. And uh, so what I used to do when I worked at Steak and Ale, which we referred to as Stuck in Hell, um, we had a manager there who I could do an impersonation of, and he gets free steaks because he's a manager. And so he'd be like off work or in another room or far away, and I would call the kitchen and order steaks in his voice and go, "Hey man, there's Kenny. Uh, I can't remember his name is Kenny or what. But well, there's some. Uh, I guess some steaks, please. Give me a couple of steaks. I'll send Sean back to get them." He'd talk like that, <laughs> and then I, I'd go back and I'm here to pick up the steaks, and they just give me the steaks from the kitchen. Then I'd go around the corner and eat them because <laughs> I could do an impression of the guy with my with my voice acting abilities. I used to order Taco Bell as Lieutenant Worf, um, and I would start out with kind of a racist joke, but then when, if you know Worf's character, it's not racist, I would say, like, are you what is known as a Mexican? You know, thinking that only Mexicans work at Taco Bell, which, of course, is ridiculous. But I did that on purpose because it starts out, like, shocking, and then, then when you realize it's Worf, he would go, the Ferengi told me about a race of people known as Mexicans who make a delicious thing called a burrito. I would like five of these 
with stuffed with meat and cheese byproducts and a large prune juice to go. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then I would go, you know, and that's not my best wharf impression. I, I don't do a good uh, wharf impression anymore. But, you know, that's I would do that or I would go to karaoke and do a rap as Captain Picard. I would do the Us 3 Cantaloupe rap as Captain Picard. What about you? What would you do? Do you, you fool anybody? God, I haven't done that yet. Usually people will will say, you know, do the narrator voice. You know, like, next time on oh, Dragon yeah, Ball yeah. Z. You know, you just want to order something. I like a large fries and a medium Coke, please. But I'm I'm afraid that the person working that day won't give a shit about anime and won't know what it is. And they just they're like, I hate my life, I hate my job, and it's like just drive through, all right, and I, not get it. But whatever. You know what <laughs> I've been getting a kick out of lately is like normally when people recognize me or recognize or ask me about the show or if I have a, a Dragon Ball Z shirt on. I okay, I had a Goku wallet my girlfriend got me that has the it was like the brown one. It just has Goku on it, so it's not it doesn't have a lot of color that pops, and and the credit cards are kind of falling out of it. So I was like, I got to replace this. So I replaced it with the bright orange. Velcro Dragon Ball Z wallet, and I just started using it the other day. And I go into Seven Eleven to get something the other day, and the guy's like, "Man, I really like your wallet, man. It's really cool." He goes, "Yeah, you like that show?" And I go, "Yeah, I like that show. It's pretty cool." And normally I, I out myself, but this time I just go, "I didn't do it." And so I've been kind of getting a kick out of people noticing the wallet, talking to me about it face to face, and me not saying anything. However, when I took the flight to Vancouver last weekend, the guy at my checkout gate did recognize me. Uh, because he asked, he had to see my driver's license for, uh, I wanted to do a seat upgrade. It was actually a pretty good upgrade. It was like 49 bucks plus free sandwich and chips and a cookie and you get better, more leg room when you sit in the front of the plane. I was like, that's 49 bucks. That's a good upgrade. That was on like WestJet. They only fly west. They don't go east. They fly them all west, but they have to go all the way around the earth. <laughs> that's right. Um, I'm kind of getting a kick out of not saying any. Like, one time, Bree and I were on a walk with our dog and some guy had the Goku Vegeta shirt with her fist bumping. And I walk by him, I go, nice shirt. And he goes, yeah, my girl got it for me. And I go, she got good taste. And that was it. And I didn't say anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've been kind of, uh, I've been kind of getting a kick into not saying anything, you know, when, when people recognize the wallet or notice your t-shirt that's Dragon Ball Z related, which I think is fun to do. <laughs> First, it was fun to get recognized and go like, you know, mention it and, you know, talk about the show. But then it's like, you're Bruce Wayne and someone, and, the, and there's, you see a newspaper and Batman saves the day and they go, man, that Batman, he's so great. And you're Bruce Wayne. You're like, yeah, he's pretty cool. And then you smile and walk away. It's like, yeah, I love Dragon Ball Z. It's so cool. It's great. And you smile and walk away like you're, you're Batman kind of, you know, <laughs> and it gives you the Batman feeling that you're in undercover. Um, so that's pretty cool. Oh, good times, man. Well, Sean, I really, really appreciate you uh, stepping in. Yeah. Uh, with us tonight. It was um, more interesting. And we just, we talked about latent input lag and, and <laughs> we talked about awesome shit, man. Okay. Are you kidding? I just this, feel this like is great. I feel like unless I'm pushing the envelope of inappropriateness, it's not interesting. But I guess it was. <laughs> yeah. No, it totally worked, man. We appreciate that. Otherworld Thank Steve will, uh, will be with us next week. And, Otherworld uh, Steve will be back next week. Uh, <laughs> wait, I'm, I'm coming for the future. What if, what if Steve comes back and he has throat surgery and he's like, hello, I'm back. <laughs> you know, he's all like. Man, if he can sing, that'll be awesome. Because yeah, I always want to play the drums. Like incredible, you know. Yeah, and you can play the guitar. We'll have a big ball broadcast band. <laughs> I'll bring. My, I'll give me, I should have busted out my French horn and played some licks. That's what I should have done when I when I was started playing Rainbow Six on uh, Xbox 360. Um, and I still have I still have a French horn. I play with a bunch of guys from England. And you know how you're on the chat room before the game loads up and you pick your teams and everybody can hear each other. Right before the game would load up, I'd go right when they when I knew it'd go three, two, one. I go. Doo-doo, doo-doo. 
on my horn before with the game would load up and everybody's laughing their asses off like was that a french horn i'm like yeah i gotta i gotta blow us into battle yeah pretty much now you gotta learn that yeah I, i'll play that next time that's right you take coffee. that's right yeah take that with you when you go to canadian cons eh? yeah. take the french horn with you all right sean thanks again so much another yeah. kick-ass episode of the big ball broadcast in the can till next time this is kyle Abair, and we'll see you soon Take care. Bye. Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by iShine, Perimeter of the Void, and Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com. I'm Will. And I'm Trent. And we are NetHeads. You can hear us live every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific on Sir. You know, Kevin Smith himself has claimed that Will is the Batman of internet radio. He's leading a double life, man. He's like Batman. Bruce Wayne in the office, and he's our Batman on the air. We cover more pop culture and tech gadgets than the Dark Knight can fit in his utility belt. We're defragging the internets, giving you the data necessary for mega nerd status. Consider us your audio RSS feed for the nerd news you need but can't stop World of Warcraft long enough to read. That's NetHeads at 6 p.m. Pacific time, only on Sir. At Smodcast.com.